Yes, the good is. If you feel sad, cause times are bad. Well, here we come to make you glad. You'll have more fun than you've ever had. Hey! We're the good is. Yes, the good is. Hello and welcome to the Goodies Pirate Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Tom. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And this is episode 49, Goodies Rule OK. This was first broadcast on the 21st of December 1975. So that's obviously the week of Christmas, Mm -hmm. which was a Sunday at 7.25pm. Primetime family viewing. Before we get into it, Richard, do you want to give us a quick background on what this episode is? Good. No. <laughs> uh, it, it's obviously the second of the 45-minute specials that they did, and it was commissioned on the back of the strength of Season 5, irrespective of the problems they may or may not have had with South Africa. So it is like uh, The Goodies in the Beanstalk. It was planned and done as a totally filmed production, much bigger budget. And, yeah, it was done as a Christmas special. Graham and Bill did say they deliberately wrote it with no Christmas content at all so that it could be rescreened at any time of the year. Which is ironic, considering it's one of the least screened episodes of yes. the run, because it doesn't fit into a nice 25-minute No, episode. well, of course, that is the problem with, with the, when the ABC showed it, because I think they only showed it two or at most three times. Of course, because they had it in that half-hour slot, of course, 45 minutes didn't really fit, so we usually only got it right at the end of the run. Mm. On that note, what did we all think about it? Rob? I have no recollection of ever watching this, based on what Richard said, I'm not surprised. What did I think of it? It was Okay. It was okay. It was largely silence. A lot of the references have dated quite badly. But, look, it was okay. Yeah, I must admit, I've seen this a fair few times. I suspect when it was aired one of those times, in one of the, when it did get that special slot, mm. my, my, my dad must have decided this was worth keeping and you know, got the tape and put it on because we did have it on VHS. And so I have some quite fond memories of it. I think it does fluctuate. When it's really good, it's really, really good. When it's not very good, it is quite, quite dull and or dated. But there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it, I think it is very up and down. Richard, what about it? I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching it for this. I didn't think it was a particularly meaty episode because there's really no interplay between the three regulars in it at all. In some ways, it is just a collection of, of sketches, in a way, or a collection of visual material. What about you, Tom? I'm a fan of it. I do like this episode, but being older than the rest of you people, I, a lot of the references are very current to my growing up on uh, what was there. So all those puppet shows, all of those comedians, that was... So, so do you know who Max Wall was? Not per <laughs> se, no. Don't think he ever really made it this far out in the antipodes. <laughs> For the uh, type of humour. I knew of him. Uh, one thing I'll say on your point, Richard, is that yes, it is a series of distinct sketches, but it did occur to me that for something that starts with the goodies being failed pop singers who are trying to drag into mm. it, and it ends with a bunch of puppets destroying checkers. The narrative thread that actually gets you from one to the other via various slots actually does work very well. It's something I was watching for mm. as I rewatched it this time, knowing that diversity. The, the, there is a very logical and reasonable narrative thread. Oh, for sure. Through this. As I said, my problem with it was more because it was too much visual and not enough of the actual goodies sure. being the goodies. Sure. So being a special, it actually opens with its own particular set of titles that very clearly says what the title of the episode is and actually has shots from the episode itself. Including some that actually didn't make it into the final version. Yes. Mm. So it opens with a 
caption telling us that we're in 1961. We get a lovely black and white pan across the skyline of Liverpool. <laughs> it mentions what's going on in 1961, including a few stars. Richard, you had them noted down. Well, there's Cliff Richard, Silla Black, and Pete Murray, uh, who was a DJ. Yes, and the Bay City Rollers, who are infants. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably shouldn't have been in 1961. No. And it then, of course, talks about all the impresarios are going down to the Cabin Club. To, um, see, to see this great new band. Yes, the Bootles. <laughs> I'll not just mention you, I've actually been to the Cabin Club, so... Oh. Yes. Nicely preserved? Uh, no. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it's touristly preserved. I was about to say it would be a shrine, wouldn't it? Uh, it yeah, pretty, pretty much. It's just across yeah. the road from the Beatles Museum. So, yes, they don't go to the Cabin's Club to see the Bootles. Yes, Don, Saul, Bingo and George <laughs> as a dummy. <laughs> yes, and Bingo with the fake nose. Yeah, now, actually, the night I had here was the impresarios all have big noses as well. Now, I don't know whether that was meant to be a sort of an, a backhanded Jewish joke. It must be. Given that Brian Epstein was the manager of the Beatles, yeah. I think that that is the line you have to draw. Mm. Mm. Obviously, the nose on Bingo is not a... Jewish joke because Ringo no. Starr wasn't Jewish. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he just had a very large nose. <laughs> and I'm sure that's George running Parliament later on too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but look, it's very good because it opens with them performing, and it's not even like a pastiche or a send up of it. They actually perform "She Loves You," mm. and it's got some really clever stuff in there with you. Know, the, the shot of Paul McCartney looking. Then looking pretty disgusted and turning away. <laughs> the audience actually enjoyed that quite a lot. Yeah, they did. That was yes. well done. It was very well done. But they then get booed before all the Beatles with their yellow submarine cod accents. <laughs> What's this, Ringo? Well, not really big. Then, of course, the goodies try other things. They become the confirmed bachelors. Yes. Uh, which is a play that the bachelors were actually an Irish group. The extremes. Yes, instead of the supremes. Yes, the three somethings before they just get booed straight away. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, they try to sing their own hit, Nappy Love. Yes. And they get booed there as well. Which ends with them now in 1975 on Skid Row. Yes. Where uh, all, all the greats come. Including the reference to John Eric. Yes. <laughs> Dressed as Gumbies. Dressed as Gumbies, yes. Interestingly there, Bill does have his little soliloquy about all the original artists that don't succeed, but the people that take them off do. Yes. One thing that I thought in there, though, is that Ravi Shankar's in there. Now, Ravi Shankar did have quite a lot of success in the 60s, so I was kind of interested that he was put into that group as well. So I suppose maybe had his star faded by the 70s? Yeah, look, maybe, maybe. Because but, we'd be, what, well, 70... We'd be late 75, so... Yeah. It wasn't about their star fading. I think they just pastiched famous people. I mean, John and Eric, but Python, obviously. But Python, I suppose, but I suppose the joke is Python's obviously well and truly finished, finished by then. Yeah. Segovia, Yehudi, yes. you know, all those people, they still had a career of some sort. It's uh, just what everybody knew them for, maybe. And, of course, having Ravi Shankar does mean they get to do an eight-half hot man joke. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I tend to think that's probably why they have him on, just like so Just so they yeah, can probably, do that. Yeah. Yes, well, the less said they're the better, prep. Yeah, it's not good in an eight half hot mum, and it's not good when it's satire here. At this point, though, they do start to satirise even more the music industry because Graham says, no, people don't want original stuff, so we'll just give them the best of what everybody else has. Yes. So you get all the jokes about, you know, we'll have Elton John's glasses, Kojak's hair. Yes, yeah, so we have the second mention of Donny Osmond's teeth. Yes, all, all of that to sort of create the perfect supergroup. Interestingly enough though, the ones that they put on in that sketch aren't the ones that they necessarily have when they're on stage. No, well actually you notice Tim and Graham swap costumes. Yes. Because Tim's wearing the pink dress and the white hat, yes. the, the Rubet's cap and Lindsay DePaul's dress. 
Whereas Graham's wearing them when they do the concert, and nobody mm. seems to have Kojak's hair anymore. No. What was interesting here is that I would have thought of them being sort of some sort of sketch or play of the goodies them being successful, but it literally cuts from what we're going to do this to become famous to the goodies have now sold out Wembley Stadium. I think it's that jump cut to say, yep, they've done exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. They've it, sold it, it out, works. but no one's going to get in because all the police inside the stadium yeah. are going to make sure nothing happens. And then the fans are the police. I mean, yes. they're, yeah. they're, they're screaming schoolgirls that you'd see in a Beatles rip-off. Passing around a joint. joint. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess there is a bit of a comment there because there is that story about the David Cassidy concert where there was several hundred, I think, people were injured when the crowd sort of tried to rush the stage and and one poor girl was trampled. And of course, this is, you know, by now it's sort of a big thing that if you're very successful musically, you sell out a stadium. You know, the the Beatles did Shea Stadium twice. Wembley was, you know, the British version of that. Yeah. Um, You know, it was now a big thing. Now, they perform... Wild Thing, yes, which is of course a song uh, first released by the Wild Ones in 1965, but made famous by the Trolls. That's right. In '66, is there any particular reason do you think why they've chosen that song? Because I think Bill just liked it. Yeah, because I mean they released it themselves as a single and on one of their albums. That said, their version of Wild Thing is pretty cool. <laughs> very oh, true. Very good. Hold very me good. tight. Not no, quite, quite that, that tight. tight. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. And. Yeah, I did notice, I, th- I think, given we've talked in the past about some of the cuts and the, the yep. edits that they've been asked to make, to have the policeman overtly passing around a joint, mm. I, I was actually quite taken aback by. Again, being a special, being a, a comedy act from there, it, but, it's not... But also being a Christmas episode going out at 7.30 rather mm. than a normal episode at 9pm. You know, yeah. I, I just thought it was really interesting. And maybe it says something about, you know, compared to 1970 where Bill couldn't even have a lemon sherbet. Yeah, and, and now in 1975 and the policeman can smoke a joint well I find it odd that it made it through because you have an authority figure engaged in an illegal activity yeah. and it, it snuck through so mm. whether you know in the mid 70s maybe with the harsh economic times authority figures are held in low repute it just made well it I mean I, I suppose the goodies I mean in terms of making the joke themselves I mean the goodies let's face it were always about poking fun at the establishment so Mm. Oh yeah, look, I totally get the joke, it's really good that no. it was kept in, I'm just very surprised yeah. mm. that it was kept in. So the goodies become extremely successful. As, and well, they occupy all ten spots in the top ten. <laughs> yes, some of which I believe are actual publicity photos of their, yes. their singles, yes. Yes. And then the news reporter tells us that Britain's in debt and crisis is coming. It's interesting the way that I think the rest of this episode is then framed around that. Because if you look at where Britain was at this stage it really was entering a pretty difficult period politically and economically. Mm. 1976 is where things get so bad. You have the IMF bailout. The Labour Party loses its majority. You have the Lib Lab Pact coming up. You have, within a year of this, the Liberal Party leader, Jeremy Thorpe, who's actually featured in this episode, has to resign in uh, interesting circumstances. Mm. Although it does lead to uh, a court case which Peter Cook satirises the summing up of brilliantly. If you ever want to check out Peter Cook's biased judge sketch, it's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) You know, you've got the winter of discontents only a couple of years away. Britain's in for some pretty difficult times over the next couple of years, and I think you could really feel that coming at this point. And, and that really is the background for, I think, this whole The second half of the episode. Here. Before they do that, though, they obviously get to go to the garden party with the Queen where they get their OBEs, and it's rained out. Is that meant to be a satire on something? I think it's just meant to be a reflection on the way that these garden parties would just sort of carry on regardless, regardless. of the weather and... You know, Tim gets to do that. I don't care that it's raining. I'm having a lovely time having tea yeah, with the Queen. Okay. 
I just wonder because the second half is conducted almost completely underwater. I think it's just a simple joke that they've taken to the extreme. I mean, it allows them to set up some jokes. Yeah. Yeah. But, Including um, the, the Queen coming out with the OBEs and having to duck down. Now, that's presumably the actress who normally does the Queen for them? Well, it depends because the voice of the Queen was Sheila Stafel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the lady who actually plays the physical queen is a lady called Jeanette Charles. Which is interesting because she looks nothing like Queen Elizabeth. Well, that's interesting that you think that because actually she, the reason she got gigs was because people thought she did look like the queen. And this this is one of several appearances she got in the 70s or work she got in the 70s based on the fact that people thought she did look like yeah, the queen. I don't know whether it's just because the rain's coming down so the hair's all flat and it, mm. it sort of takes away the effect, but I thought she looked nothing like She's the queen. She's a bit too round-faced for the queen at that point of the no, well, I think that there are other performances she does, and she got them primarily because the people thought she looked like the Queen. Maybe she just owned a couple of corgis. <laughs> the goodies get their OBEs. By this stage, the garden party's completely washed out, and at this point, the Prime Minister comes to speak to them. Yes, because they have all the money, so they're going to be nationalised. Yes, and I, I do like the, uh, the the joke of the pipe coming through the water. Look, Prime Minister! <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they've just got some Harold Wilson sort of northern drawl no, coming no, no. coming yeah. up from the, uh, the water. It's really quite funny. And yes, he decides to nationalise them. It really is 1975, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or 2017. Now, of course, because they're now the pop group laureates, yes. they have to come up with something to get Britain back on track, which in their case is Bounce for Britain. Which was a single for them. And then you got the accompanying clip. Yes, which we might come back to, I think, <laughs> I think you wouldn't get away with today. Uh, yes. Uh, but some of that clip is very clever. You get all the political leaders doing it. You know, Mrs Thatcher, I think Barbara Castle's in one of them. Apparently the notes were, originally they were going to have some other ones, like the, the shot of Gerald Ford falling down the steps of Air Force One, I think was, was originally slated to be one of them. Yes, and it ends with that really effective one of uh, Harold Wilson and the, and the, the dog, dog. Yeah. That... which the audience really enjoys. The country is, is, of course, well, screwed. Harold Wilson kills himself. Yes. So, of course, now there has to be an election. And we get Michael Barrett back, who was the host of Nationwide. Mm. Uh, to come back to do the discussion. They have an election special which is hosted by Terry Wogan. And it even has somebody pretending to be Robert McKenzie doing the Springometer, which was a yes. staple of British election coverage at that point. The, yeah. the cardboard yeah. Springometer. <laughs> yes. uh, it's actually Roland McLeod again, I think that. Uh, I believe so, yes. yes. So they, they sort of you know quickly go through some of the obvious jokes for uh, a British election night, including the um, returning officer and all that sort of thing. Then they go through the various parties. They almost turn it into like a, an episode of Strictly Come Dancing. Yes. Because you have the waltzing party. And then you... returns from the uh, dance hall. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's, of course, why Terry Wogan is hosting it. Yes. You then also have the Max Wall party. Now, I know we made the sort of the joke about Max Wall at the start. Mm. He was, obviously, as I said, he was obviously very well known in England. He, he'd been a comedian since the 1930s. And what you see on screen is his most famous character, which is a chap called Professor Wolofsky who basically was a man with a strange walk in a dinner suit with a bald head. And the crowd obviously really get behind that, so clearly someone obviously didn't cross out here to Australia. Or or past the 70s. Yes. (laughs) There was also Funky Gibbon Party, uh, whose representative is John Peel. Yes. Uh, Now, which is a bit of a pun on the fact that he allegedly gave the single a bad review. Yes, Uh, he was a DJ. Yes. Or Sir John Peel, as he is now. Now, of course, the election is won by... The standing around doing nothing party or the standing party, which is the shop dummies. Who are literally standing for Parliament. Yes. <laughs> and, and one of whom, yes, I think, maybe George Harrison. <laughs> they then decide that they're going to put a ban on all enjoyment 
which includes an announcement that this will be enforced by the Mirth inspectors. Yes, now of course the town crier is Norman Mitchell, who was Gerald in the two uh, the two Henry McGee episodes. Oh, yes, okay. yes. Okay. That's what he looks like without the glasses. And having a lot of fun doing a lot more. Yes. Yes. The Mirth inspectors is an interesting sort of moment because I think this is where the episode takes another very big yes. turn around the corner. It, it, it flows very logically yeah. from where they've gone, but it does sort of allow a very different segment from then. This, of course, allows the goodies then to take on the Robin Hood role and they get introduced riding along in sort of the green Robin Hood costumes <laughs> singing Where the Goodies. Yes. And that leads to the next filmed insert, which is them trying to make a couple of, well, I guess it's meant to be sort of Sherwood Forest. Farmers. Farmers sort of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Laugh. I, I thought that was a weaker moment, I have to say. In fact, this whole middle segment's probably a bit dragged a little bit for me. What, what did you think, Tom? No, look, I'll get to that at my favourite point because I actually, I really love the song uh, and there's just parts of that that were really good uh, down to the point of all the things that the wife was just, yeah, yeah, you know, laugh, laugh, laugh and the husband's saying, no, 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 no shut up because, you know, you might get caught, might get caught type of thing. Maybe some of the sequences were a bit long. It's probably a fraction long. I thought some of the sequences were quite funny, like particularly where they put Tim's leg back on, back, yes. back, back to front. I thought that was really well done. Which the audience loved as well. Yeah. I didn't mind this middle section. I, of all the episode, I, I probably thought that this was a highlight for me. Yeah. Mm. And, and I will make the point, yes, modelling balloons are that hard to blow up. <laughs> <laughs> if you're trying to self-inflate, they yes. are that hard to blow up. And then, yeah, of course, in the place is called Dumb Chuckling. Yes. You know, just just mm. uh, get some... More of uh, Graham's patented pun on words. <laughs> it ends, of course, with the goodies being successful in making people laugh. There's that a really well-filmed little sketch of the dummy Prime Minister, or, or the shadow of him, yes. looming over the head mirth. And that's really dramatically done. Yeah. And it's not something you'd normally expect from the goodies, and perhaps a reflection of the fact that they've had more time to film this Christmas special. So they actually do little things like that that I think do add to it. And I think it's also a reflection of the fact that it's filmed on film, isn't it? It the is. It's, it's entirely shot on uh, film. So it, it has that more filmic quality, I suppose, mm. the videotape Could lakes. be a Blu-ray release one day from Network. No, I don't <laughs> We've got to get the rest of the series out first. <laughs> it then takes on a different aspect of all that, where they talk about the age of the hootligers, who are putting together the joke-easies. <laughs> and so they do a whole sort of prohibition era. Well, the unmentionables. Thing. Yes, well, yes. they do. The, first they do the Capone send-up when yes. it's Valentine's Day and they go and take out the mirth inspectors. Yes. February 14, 1975, yeah. Yeah. Which leads them then is that they're going to be hootleggers. Yes. They need to find hoots to leg or go and find all the comedians that are now in hiding. So you get stuff like... Tommy Cooper is a yeah. parking inspector, for example. Well, they talk about... I'll do a quick list. They, they, they talk about... In the club, they talk about Val Dunick and Jimmy Savile and Harry Seacombe. And Tim's got Cliff Richard and Cilla Black. And then there's a heard that Eric and Ernie are back in town, which, girls gets them all excited. Then when they go out on the road, yes, yeah, Tommy Cooper, Ken Dodd, yep. is the second one they pick up, who probably isn't that well-known here in Australia, maybe. Rolf Harris. Rolf is there. And, of course, then we get the wonderful scene where they leave Tony Blackburn. <laughs> Comes running to the car. <laughs> no, no, drive off. <laughs> he was a good sport, Tony. He is. For somebody who caught so much stick off, and that's the second time he's rocked up and made fun of himself. So. Mm. And then, of course, when they get them all in the room, we get another appearance in the real Eddie Wary. We also have the real Sue Lawley. Yes. Mm. The real Patrick Moore, yet again. Patrick, yes. Yes. Mm. And then we pan down, and there are people like, well, there's uh, the chap in the beret, it was meant to be Frank Spencer. And that was played by John Leeson. Ah, yes. So everyone's favourite canine. (laughs) 
that sequence gives Graham a chance to do all these impressions as he's trying to teach them all mm. how to do themselves again. So he gets to do a Tommy Cooper. He gets to... I was about to say he gets to do a Jimmy Savile. That's probably not the expression we want to use. No, well, he's in the room, of course, as well. They do, yes. do a pan past him. Yeah, Tommy Cooper, he does the Ken Dodd, which is by Joe Mrs. by Joe Mrs. Oh, yes. Then you've got Eddie Waring stepping up and goes, oh, I think I've got it. Past Rolf, who's speaking with the Scottish accent. Then Eddie Waring steps in again. Never has my flapper been so ghastard. It shows that Eddie Waring may have been a great rugby commentator, but he was not an actor. No, very much so. No, I mean, look, in some ways that would be a hard scene to do, particularly since you're actually taking these people off to their faces. Yes. yes. Um, I could see, and it shows what good sports some of them really obviously were. I don't know, they were as precious back then as no, they are nowadays. Past Kojak. Yeah, um, well, he, of course, actually, we didn't touch on that. Telly Savalas, as well as being Kojak, he had actually had a number one single in Britain a couple of months before this was filmed. Mm. The song If. Different times. Patrick Moore was speaking with a female voice, Sue Lawley with a male voice, and Eric and Ernie uh, were there towards the end of that. And then they just sort of got into a jumble of noises of what they had to do. And of course, then they decide, well, these aren't the people to run the country. Right, so the solution is a puppet government. Yes, so at this point, because of the goodies work the dummies government has formed, the committee is now in power, but yes... They install a puppet government, which is literally puppet. <laughs> which leads to Sooty becoming Prime Minister. Yeah, now that apparently was originally going to be Basil Brush. But uh, I think the chap, whoever it was who operated Basil Brush, wasn't keen on... Basil didn't do cameos. Yes. <laughs> Basil was a leading man, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Leading> Fox, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> which in hindsight is actually probably quite serendipitous because I think that the, that, that little interview with Sooty and Sweep including the, what's that, Prime Minister? You want to play your oh. <laughs> That's really, really funny. And the puppet's then getting out of control, which leads us into our final sequence, which is basically the goodies going down to Chequers, which is the country retreat of the Prime Minister, and having to deal with the public yes. government. You notice, actually, as they start showing some of the, when they do the shot of Parliament, you notice the cheers from the audience. Like, when we first see the clangor yes. on yes. screen. Which, again, I don't, I don't think the clangors was ever screened here. No. I don't think. I actually had a Clangers book as a kid, yeah. which obviously must have been one of those UK cast-offs that they shipped over here, but I don't ever remember the Clangers yeah, being on I TV. Don't I don't think any either. of those Oliver Postgate ones came out here, did they? So Bagpuss was another one. I don't think we ever got Bagpuss out here either. No. 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 Anyway. There you go. Well, of course, as we go down to Checkers to, to sort the situation out, that takes us into our final visual sequence, where, of course, they have to take on the toys. Yes. And there's quite a few of them on display. Yes, and again, you notice there's some big cheers from the audience there as they go through and they start to fight with them. Mm. Yes. Um, so, yeah, look, a lot, a lot of them, and a lot of them were actually classics as well, even at that stage, they weren't necessarily contemporary. Well, they were. Well, we first see like a classic Punch and Judy. Yes. Uh, obviously, when they're first trying to get into the place. There's quite a few, obviously, that really for Australians, I, I don't think, would make a lot of sense, but the British fans obviously seem to, the audience seem to get a bit out of them. I mean, obviously we have Sooty and Sweep. There's the worm thing from uh, Vision On, yep. those white things scooting around the walls. There was Pinky and Perky with the two pigs ringing the alarm. Yes, up in the window. Those, when they get out and they start fighting, of course, we have Andy Pandy and his friends Luby Lou and Teddy. There's whatever the green thing is in the bin that Tim... I'm assuming that's meant to be a rip-off of Oscar the Grouse. What was the <laughs> dog with that flew through? Was that... The character is Hector the dog, dog yeah. and they're from Hector's house, which was a French series that was redubbed yeah. um, shown in, in England. There's Bill and Ben and Weed, Weed. 
And of course, Bill gets set on by the Wombles. Wombles. Yes, that was good. And actually, he did say he thought this was a great episode because he got to live one of his dreams by kicking the Wombles in the nuts, and who doesn't like that? <laughs> and then, of course, we get into, obviously, what is the iconic image of it is the giant Dougal. Yes. yes. Which, considering it's only in it in the last, what, three minutes of the mm. episode, is actually quickly. quite a lot of money to spend on that in the giant Zebedee. Yes. Yes. But I think it makes for a really effective conclusion because there is that ramp up. And again, rather than sort of trying to find a way to end an episode or limping towards the end, this ramps up to a really effective climax. Mm. And the shot of Bill on top of Zebedee going up and down, I don't know how they filmed that, but that um, looks really, really It good. was. He did say it was very good. He wasn't scared of heights yeah. because he was actually harnessed to Zebedee and they were on a cherry picker, mm. just, just being raised and lowered. Right. Yeah, look, look, it's worth it because it looks really, really good. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, that, that shot of uh, Dougal just coming around the corner and coming towards them, it is iconic and it's very yeah. well It is. Yes. I don't know how you do that now. I suppose you'd probably have to fight Peppa Pig and the characters from In the Night Garden or something now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and of course, of course um, the Magic Roundabout was something we did have in Australia. Yes. yes. And it's something that is in British consciousness, including the wonderful reference in Men Behaving Badly. Yeah. Do you remember the Magic Roundabout? Yes. What the f- was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's another one of those French series that was, was just redubbed. And apparently... The, Eric just, Thompson. It was Emma Thompson's father. father yeah. To go on a slight tangent, because apparently when they bought them from the French mob, they didn't supply any translations. No, so, so he just made it up. Yeah, he had to basically watch the episode, try and work out what he thought was going on, then wrote a script around it. And it was nothing like reality. No. no. <laughs> and yeah, so you look, the model shot again of Dougal and Zebedee destroying checkers... Yeah. Very effective. That was a great model. That's mm, it right, is. right up there with the demons and the church blowing up. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really is. It's yeah, it did. I, I thought that was a really good ending to the episode. Yeah. Well, it's not the very final ending. No, it's not, of course. They then go back and they have the three leaders of the parties decide and come back. So they have Wilson, Thatcher and Thorpe. Yep. Uh, with the goodies as the puppet masters. Yep. And then as the theme goes on, it pulls back again. And it has producer Jim Franklin yes, as the, the, the goodies. Of the goodies, yes, yes, which is a really good joke. I think a really nice ending, <laughs> and it's good to see Jim Franklin actually turn up on screen. Yes, it is. It was considering he is a big part of the goodies, huge part of the goodies. Actually. Yes. So we've got to the end of it. As I said, I think the narrative actually does work very well. I mean, considering where you start to where you finish, yeah, you get there in a very logical and reasonable point. There's a lot of very funny sketches in there. Depending on your taste, some drag, some don't. But I, I'm actually very impressed by this episode. Yeah, as I said at the start, I was extremely entertained watching it. I, for me personally, I think it gets better as it, it sort of approaches the midpoint. I think the early stuff doesn't really land for me. But I can see how a Christmas audience back in 1975 would have yes. found there's enough here for the kids yep. and yeah. for the parents and, and relatives watching the older people. And it's got all that sort of Christmas celebrity cameo yep. stuff. You know, it would have been. I mean, it, it's good now for us to be able to go. Oh, there's Patrick Moore. There's Eddie Waring. Mm. But if you're actually you know, around the Christmas table in 1975 and go, oh my God, there's Eddie Waring, there's Sue Lawley, yeah. you know, that's really effective. Any other general points? One I did have, and it's maybe a first, this is the first episode where there's no writing credit for Tim, and, and actually the goodies from here on, I don't think credit him again. No. I don't think. So, yeah. And again, going off the slight tangent, because the way they're writing the goodies at this point, they used to have what they call the panorama meeting, where they would sit down and basically work out what do we think we could use as an idea where are some ideas we could go and they'd sort of roughly sketch out what they wanted to do 
Tim obviously then, because he was performing a lot of other stuff, would then go off and leave Bill and Graham to write them. Yeah, he's in Hello Cheeky and yeah. all of this. And a lot of stage productions and that, so yeah. across the run of the goodies. So he would then leave it for Graham and Bill to write, and then he would come back at the end and make a few suggestions, and I think make a nuisance of himself, <laughs> um, I think, by sort of saying, oh, maybe you could change this to do this. He, he himself admitted that they were better and much faster writers than he was, so yeah. he was quite happy to, to let them do it. Mm. That's very true. All right, we'll move into our regular segments then. Tropes and firsts. Is it the first Maggie Thatcher? I think it is. Yes, it will well, be she, she would only have just become leader at this point. Yes. Uh, another appearance of Patrick Moore. Another yes. appearance of Eddie Waring. And yes. Tony Blackburn. And Tony Blackburn, yes. Yep. And Rolf Harris. Yes, and yes. Jimmy Savile. Well, basically, most of the celebrities they picked on get a reference at some point. Yeah, yes. Donnie Osmond gets a reference, all, all of them. Yeah. Plus, of course, Corbett Woodall's back. Yes. Sheila Stafel's back. Yes. As the voice. And Norman Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And Roland McLeod. But from a sort of a gags point of view, there aren't a lot of the regular ones again. Another attempt at a Land of Hope and Glory speech. Very, very brief one. Yes, that's right. I, I think, again, probably because of the nature of the episode, I, I don't know that there's really a lot in here that, that really fits into the rest of the series, other than maybe some of the guest stuff. Yeah, mm. that's about it. It, it. it is not a formulaic goodie. So, so far as they have a formula, mm. it falls well outside it. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, you, you don't even see the office, to the point that at the end they're actually watching TV... On a, on a tree yes. in the forest rather than even going back to their office. Is that actually a reference to a particular TV show Whether you could... I have a dim memory of uh, characters watching TV on a inserted mm. into a tree. Maybe it was the goodies. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> actually, Shell's <laughs> What couldn't they get away with today? Let, let's, let's just say Jimmy Savile. And, and, uh, and Gary Glitter. Yeah. Uh, Gary Glitter gets mentioned. You wouldn't be able to do a Gary Glitter so joke you, now. You get the yep. trilogy there. The Unholy Trinity. Yeah. In when they're doing bounce Britain, you've got boobs jumping. Or yes, that was the night clothes, I had. But yeah, just um, sort of like I don't um, think you could do that. Giving the Indian the when they're doing the Ravi Shankar bit, the, yes. the funny Indian voice. I don't think you'd be able to do that now. Yeah, and I also had a note here about belting the baby in the pram. Yes, I don't think that was. They're not really belting a baby though. No, they're not. Well, none of it's real. No, no. Not, but but I think the impression that that was there. Yeah, I think it's okay because within the context of what the Mirth inspectors are, I think it. I think it's it's not pleasant, but it's. It's one of those shocking laughs you get yeah, out of it, yeah, though. Yeah. You're sort of like, you, <laughs> oh, God, I laughed at that. Laughing at other people being babies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I had a note. I don't know that you do that joke now. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that the one here without kids obviously didn't mind that one. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that says something. <laughs> All right, which brings us to our favourite gags. Well, I like the song Where the Goodies, but overall is Prime Minister. What's that? You want to play your xylophone? <laughs> um, I was I was actually tempted to pick that one, so if you, you'll have that one, I'm going to go right back to the start and have the Paul McCartney looking in horror and disgust at the beat, at the bootles. <laughs> that, that was very cleverly done. It gets a really good laugh from me. All right, I'm actually going to go back to the start as well. The bit that I did get a laugh was when obviously being booed off stage, when they finally get to about 1974, and it's like, it's the three. <laughs> 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 Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I, I enjoyed that. So, I think we've all had a good time? Yes. 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 Excellent. So, next week we're actually going to have a special episode where Richard and Tom are going to show us their expertise in goodies books and give me a bit of an education about publications, both by the goodies, about the goodies, of the goodies, the complete run. 
we've got to go so, and do some reading then. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming up next week, and then we'll be back with season six after that. But who knows, on your way to the library, you may just take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. I'm sorry, what was that, Prime Minister? You want to play your xylophone?